You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. I remember singing that hymn sitting in this room as a little kid. Uh, and uh, just uh, not, not even sure what all of those words meant. Uh, this is my story. This is my song. But uh, I remember singing, singing that hymn as a, as a boy. And uh, that's kind of how I wanted us to start this year. Uh, I appreciate the music and some vintage songs. And we're talking and con- uh, wrapping up the series, Vintage Faith, this morning out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Moses is giving this sort of final discourse to the Jewish people. Uh, he is going to die, <clears throat> excuse me, he's going to pass away, and the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, are going to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land that, that God had promised for them. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 16, we're going to read down through the end of the chapter, verse 25, uh, this morning. And Moses said to the nation of Israel, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. When your son, son asks you in time to come saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed us signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, showed uh, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us up, brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So there's a lot here, but we're going to kind of roll through these verses, but I want to point out a few things. The first is in verse number 16, where Moses says this. He says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Now, to think about that, we we need to look and say, well, what what happened at Massa? What was that? And we find that story in Exodus chapter 17. Now, before we read this passage in Exodus chapter 17, it's important to understand where we are. Exodus is the story of the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. They went down into Egypt. Joseph was sold as a slave. God raised him up to be in second in command next to Pharaoh. But eventually, the Jewish people, as they grew and became uh, great in number, they were slaves. And so you know the story. God sent Moses. Moses 
uh, and, and then God used plagues to bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. In Exodus chapter 14 is where they cross the Red Sea. Miraculously, God parts the Red Sea. They go across. The Egyptian army that is pursuing them is then in the middle of crossing the Red Sea when God lets the waters come back and they all drown. The first battle that the nation of Israel ever has as a nation, there's not a sword drawn, a spear thrown. God wipes off the, the Egyptian army by, in a miraculous way. That's Exodus 14. Exodus 15 is predominantly the song of Moses and the song of Miriam. It's just praise for the victory that they've just experienced in Exodus 14. At the end of Exodus 15, they're in a place where the water is bitter and God heals the water and gives them sweet water in this oasis because they're in a dry area. That's Exodus 15. Exodus 16, they're hungry. And Exodus 16 is the establishing of manna where they get this bread from heaven that every day they would go out and they would gather, except on Fridays when they would gather twice as much because they wouldn't gather it on Saturday, the Sabbath. So you have the crossing of the Red Sea, the healing of bitter waters, and the provision of manna in Exodus 14, 15, and 16. And that brings us up to Exodus 17. Then all the congregants of the children of Israel, Exodus 17, 1, set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted uh, the, and the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? It's interesting that this was over and over the refrain of the people. You brought us out of Egypt to kill us. Well, God sure went to a lot of trouble to do that, didn't he? I mean, plagues, crossing the Red Sea, that was his plan. And they would also, they would always say things like, well, in Egypt, we had water. You were a slave. You were sweating in the sun, making bricks, building these great monuments of the Egyptian empire as slaves. Well, we had plenty to eat. You were slaves. But they would bring this up to Moses. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Hor in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. 
So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? That word Massa means tempted or tested. And Meribah means contention or quarreling. And so this was a place of tempting and quarreling where the people tempted God. Not tempted God to sin, but they, they questioned God. They, they were contentious with Moses, God's leader. And they said, what is it God even doing? And now in Deuteronomy chapter six, to the next generation, Moses says, don't tempt God like you did at Massa. Now, as I think about this passage, I think it's important that we understand that God, God doesn't ever say, you can't question me. God doesn't ever say that you can't be upset with circumstances in your life. But we have to be careful not to be contentious with God. In other words, when God shows himself mighty, how dare we question him again? I mean, here God used plagues to bring him out of the nation of Israel, as they or out of Egypt. As they came out, they received gold and all kinds of tribute from their former taskmasters. God provides for them in crossing the Red Sea. God provides for them by making the bitter water sweet. God provides for them by bringing manna from heaven. And now they're thirsty. And you would think that this people would go, dear God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has provided for our needs in the past, would you please provide water for us now? But that's not what they did. They said, oh, was this your big plan, Moses? God brought us out here so that we could die of thirst? Hey, you know, we always had plenty to drink in Egypt. Now, if I'm Moses, I'm saying, hey man, here's a one-way bus ticket back. That's why the Bible says Moses was a very patient man. But there's a difference between crying out to God in our, in our pain and our difficulty and then continually questioning the goodness and the, and the motives of our God, contending with him. And you, you think about it in terms of a child. You know, kids usually go through that why phase. If you're a parent, you probably remember that. Hey, do this, why? And they question everything. Why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why are we have to do this? You know, why do we have to do that? Why can't I eat chocolate cake for breakfast? All of those questions. And, and part of that is kids are curious. Kids are, are wanting to know. But as a parent, you know when that attitude moves from just curiosity and questioning to difficulty. And I don't want to do this, so give me an explanation. And, 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 and they, they become brats about it. 
not your kids, but I'm saying some kids, just theoretically, right, that could happen. You know when that attitude changes as parents, right? You also know when your attitude changes with God. When it moves from, God, I don't understand what you're doing. Please explain to me why I'm having to go through this. God, what, why is this struggle happening to, how dare you, God? Was this your big plan to make me die of thirst? And here the people were contentious and they tempted God. And Moses said, do not let that happen. He goes on in verse 16, or 17 of Deuteronomy 6 and says, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. Now again, when we look at this passage, we're seeing specific instructions with specific promises for these people. And we can look at these, but this, this scripture is not given specifically to us. It's not like, well, I can just go and take whatever land I want. That's not the application here. But the application is that if we will follow God and we will keep his commandments, there, there are positive consequences to that. Now, there is, a, there is an idea uh, in Christianity today that says you can have anything you want if you just pray to God and have enough faith. If you just pray to God and have enough faith, we, we, you can be a millionaire, a billionaire, whatever it is. Uh, you, you'll never get sick. God will heal you. If you just get, God wants to give you every good gift. Listen, that's a lie. That's a lie. God, it's not God's intention that all of us be rich here on this earth. That's not God's intention. Matter of fact, Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, and sometimes the poor are part of his followers. Maybe you haven't been there, but I have. And difficulties come. Listen, people get sick, and that's not a lack of faith. That's just the sinful, fallen world we live in. I, my, my daughter got COVID this week and uh, she's out of state, so I haven't seen her, but I'm not exposed to her. But I, you know, I don't want to get it. I, I don't want to get COVID. It does not look like fun. Now, there's a balance, I think, as a believer between living in fear and doing foolish things. I'm not going around licking doorknobs because I don't want to get COVID but I don't wanna live in fear of it either. You with me? But if I get COVID, that's not because I didn't have enough faith in God. We live in a sinful, fallen world. Bad things will happen to us. You say, okay, preacher, so, if I, so why should I follow God then? What's the benefits of believing God and keeping his commandments? Well, a couple of things I want to give you. Number one, obedience to God brings relationship with him. 
Jesus said this in John chapter 15. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Jesus said, you need to follow my commandments. I've told you to love. You need to love as I've loved. You need to do the things that I've told you to do. But he said, in that, you're not my servants. You're my friends. And he, he starts, he gives us a little bit of glimpse of that in the first part of that passage in verse number 11. He says, I've spoken these things that your joy, that you might have my joy, that your joy might be my joy and your joy would be full. That's when, when we're friends with Jesus, we get his joy. And then he gives us another glimpse of that in the last, path, the last verse there in verse number 14 or verse number 15 where he says, I've called you my friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. When we're friends with Jesus, A, we have access to the father and B, we, we understand the father. We get revelation from the father and, and, and from the son. He reveals himself to us. This is the these are some of the benefits of friendship. And we understand that, right? If you have a good friend, you're happy for them when, when they're happy. You mourn with them when they mourn, when they're sad, when they're troubled. And Jesus said, I call you my friends. I give you my joy. I give you access to the Father. And so obedience to God brings relationship with him. And obedience to God brings supply of our needs. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter six and verse 31, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I, sometimes I wish that following Jesus was a lottery ticket, and we just, you know, you get a genie in a bottle and whatever you want. Wouldn't that be great? But life's not that way. But we'll spend eternity with him. That's a whole different level. There he uses gold for asphalt. He uses diamonds for foundations. But in this earth, we struggle. We have difficulties. But God said, you know what? I'll supply your needs. He said, I'm there for you. I think about it as a father. He's our heavenly father. One of the things that I'm experiencing now is I've got children who are, are leaving the house. I've got a daughter who'll graduate from college in May and a son who's married. And 
in that, one of the things that my wife and I talk about is we always, we, we, we want to send our kids out. We want them to be independent. We want them to live on their own. But we also want to give them a soft place to land. Like I want them to, to go out and to experience life, but they know, man, if they crash and burn, they can always come to mom and dad. Doesn't mean we'll make everything better. Doesn't mean we'll bail them out of any problem. But you know what? My kids know they never have to worry about a place to stay or, or a hot meal. Man, they can come home. I, I, we'll, we'll help with their needs. Why? Because they're my children. I love them. How much more our Heavenly Father, who says, I know what your needs are. I see the grass and the flowers. I see the birds of the air. I know you. Every hair on your head, every thought that you have, God knows our needs and he will provide them. Philippians chapter four and verse 19 says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The truth is, and I love this verse because it doesn't say God will supply all of our needs according to our needs. It says God will supply all of our needs according to his riches. I think one of the reasons my kids like to come home is because their mom's a great cook. I mean, you don't, listen, if my kids are in need of a meal, they don't just get a TV dinner. They get something good to eat. Because we supply for our children out of what we have. And God supplies for his children out of what he has, according to his riches in glory. God will meet our needs. If we will obey him, he will be a friend to us and he will meet our needs. And then Deuteronomy chapter six says this in verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord our God has commanded you? When you're 20 years in the future and you're in the promised land and Moses is a memory and the wandering in the wilderness and the crossing of the Red Sea are just stories. And your children say to you, what's this all about? Then you will say, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. God was at work in a mighty and a powerful way. God moved in miraculous ways. Listen, listen, son, I was there and I was just a boy, but the wind began to blow and we could see the dust behind us and we knew that it was the army of, the, of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They had chariots of iron and mighty horses. They had swords and spears and we were slaves. We had nothing. My father had spent his entire life making bricks and hauling them. He was a strong man, but he knew nothing of fighting. 
And we knew that we were goners because there were mountains on one side and the, the, the sea was before us and we had nowhere to go. But the wind began to blow and the waters parted and we crossed that sea in a miraculous way. And we looked and here comes the armies of Pharaoh crossing as well. But before they could reach us, the sea collapsed and they all drowned. And I remember the next day as I went down to the edge of the water and I could see a wheel from one of those chariots floating up to the shore. That's what God did. And this is what God intended for the people of Israel to pass on to the next generation. And God has worked in our lives as well. Listen, there are some things we should just never get over when it comes to God. Ephesians chapter two and verse four says, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, as a young boy, I grew up right up here on Green Mountain. Not more than within a mile of this church, I grew up there. Lived there, moved there when I was four years old. And my mother and father loved Jesus. And they looked for a church and they found this church right here. Matter of fact, we were meeting in that that building just north of us. And they brought me to church and I went to Sunday school and I, and I was not the best kid there. I did a story, uh, I did a sermon a couple of years ago and I visited some folks and, and the lady had been my Sunday school teacher and she had a picture uh, of the class and she said, I think that's you in the corner. And my nose was in the corner. It, you, it was just the back of me. I don't know if it was me or not, but she thought it was me. What does that say? I know what it says. But I heard the gospel. I heard that Jesus loved me, that God loved me, and he sent Jesus to die for me. And that Jesus didn't stay dead, he rose again on the third day. And if I would put my trust in Jesus, then I could have my sins forgiven. And one Saturday morning, at the breakfast table, I remember started talking to my mom about what it meant to be saved. And we went into her bedroom. And I remember, I don't remember the date, but I remember the bed. And I remember this ugly turquoise bedspread that they had. Now I remember the hardwood floors in that house. And I remember kneeling on the side of that bed and asking God to forgive me and putting my trust in Jesus Christ. I remember going to church and talking to the pastor about being baptized. 
And one Sunday evening, sitting over in that auditorium with a spare underwear and T-shirts and a brown paper bag. I don't know why I remember that, but that's what I remember. And at the end, I was so nervous because I knew I was going to get baptized. At the end of service, I went down and I went to the back and they had this robe and I put it on and I went and, and the pastor dunked me because I wanted everybody to know what Jesus had done in my heart. And since then, I failed him. And, and, I, and I've not always served him in the way that I should, but he continues to love me as his child. And I want my kids to know that same Jesus. And I want my grandkids to know that same Jesus. And I want them to know that, that he miraculously saved me and he's worked time and time and time again in my life uh, to, to bring me back to himself and to provide for me. And I will spend all of eternity thanking God for all the blessings that he's given to me. When your sons ask you, you need to tell them this. I put there in the notes the importance of progeny. I don't know why I wanted to use a big word this week. Progeny just means our kids. It's actually a word that's related to this idea of begatting. You know, in scripture it says this guy begat this guy. It's what you, what you begat, that's your progeny. Some of you don't have kids, or some of you have kids that are grown. That doesn't mean you don't have progeny. It doesn't mean that, you, that there aren't people that you can, can share and be a testimony of what God has done for you. I believe that God gives us children and family, and we should pass on our faith to our family, but it's not just our physical family. We have an, an obligation and an opportunity to share what Christ has done with those we come into contact with. We're here in January, and a new year and the end of an old year often causes me to look back and try to look forward. I told you that I went and visited my in-laws this week and was back in a town where we were living before I came here to pastor. A lot of those things kinda made me nostalgic this week. I was working on the financial report for the church this week. COVID and 2020 and all the stuff that happened, but I could see how God had blessed. I could see the things that God had allowed us as a church to do. And it's important that we look back as we look forward. It's important that we remember what God did. There's a couple of things that we've done as a church in this regard. One is if you go outside, uh, on the, if you go right out the front doors on the porch there and you turn to the right, there's this rock in front of it in front of a tree, and, and there's a picture of it. And it's got some quotes from Joshua chapter four. It says, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? 
And, and it doesn't say what the, the purpose for that rock is. It just says God is faithful September 21st, 2015. And that's on purpose. We didn't put on that rock why that date is important. What we did was we put a rock out there with a verse that says you should find out why that rock is important. And I think every person that comes to Belmar Church should know what the meaning of that rock is. Because September 21st, 2015 is when we moved back into this auditorium after nine years of meeting in the gym and having to rent this auditorium to another ministry because we could not afford to stay here. We could not afford to meet here. We would have lost the building. Yet God provided. And after a time of being away and wandering, you know what God did? He brought us back. God worked in miraculous ways. And I could take from now until it's dark outside telling you how God has provided for Belmar Church. But that rock is there so that if someone goes, why is that rock there? Someone else says, because God provided for this church in a miraculous way. And if he did it before, do you not think he's gonna do it again? I mean, here we are at the start of 2021 and masks and COVID and vaccine and unrest and just name it. I mean, the stock market's going nuts. Our government's crazy. I mean, everything. You think God's not gonna work? You think that's too much for God to overcome? He's worked in the past. We have one other thing that I wanted to draw attention to. Down in our food bank is a plaque. Now, most of you, unless you've been down in that hallway, you might not see it. But it's, it's a, a dedication to the memory of a guy named Jack Schrader. When I first came to Belmar Church, there were three guys that were deacons in our church, a mic and a pair of jacks. That's what I had. Now, an ace and a jack is good if you're playing 21. If you're pastoring a church, a mic and a pair of jacks, that, that's not a great hand. But I'm just kidding. I had two guys named Jack and, and Brother Mike Coy, who's still one of our deacons. One was Jack Hunt. Jack was a beautiful man. And, and, and he, he passed away several years ago. And the other was Jack Schrader. I love Jack. Jack started our food bank. And when I asked him one time, I said, why? He said, you know, there was a time when, when my family was just hurting, man. And somebody bought some groceries, like two bags of groceries, and they left them on our front porch. And that just, that made an impact on me. And that two bags of groceries was multiplied thousands, tens of thousands of times because Jack loved to give away food. It, nothing got him more excited. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you the number of times that Jack would come to me and go, Pastor, Pastor, look at these boxes. Guess how much I paid? And he'd tell me everything. And I'd be like, I can't remember all those numbers, Jack. 
Only 15 cents for this box of cereal, whatever it was, I don't know. He'd just get all excited. And that continues. 114 families got food this week. And, and I've told you how God has provided. I was looking back over the numbers, how there was a two-month period where we didn't buy from Food Bank of the Rockies because they weren't selling food. And we didn't close one week. And sometimes Gina can testify, it felt like the widow with the, the meal and the oil, didn't it? She would come to me and she would go, preacher, I, I, we can do one more week. And I don't know what we're gonna do after that. And I was like, me neither. I can't grow it. And we never ran out of food. Someone came this week and they, they were past the time we were closed and they said, do you have anything left? And I kind of laughed because I'm like, we never run out. Not because we're so smart or we have so much money because God always provides, always. And do you think he will not do it again? And I don't tell you about the past just to remember the past. I tell you about the past to say it's 2021. You see all the obstacles that we face. You see all the difficulties in our way. Listen, through this last year in 2020, there are several churches that could not make it that have shut down. And I, that breaks my heart. But listen, I look at our church and I say, what does God want to do with Belmar Church this year? You say, well, preacher, what about this? What about that? Listen, nothing has been an obstacle for him in the past. The God who parted the Red Sea is the same God that brought us back into this auditorium. The God who, who made the bitter water sweet is the same God that provides food each and every week for us to give away and be a testimony in our community. That is the God and the God who brought water from a rock and who brought manna every morning to the nation of Israel will meet our needs and he will provide for us and I believe he desires to do great things in the future. Will we have the courage to walk by faith? Will we pray and ask God to use us as he does miraculous things? Church, he has worked in the past. Is there any doubt that he desires to work again? I understand some of the difficulties that some of our church folks are going through. I don't want to minimize that for a second. But the same God who has worked in the past is going to work again. Let us pray for that. Let us be excited about that. Let us be looking with expectation on how he's going to work in 2021. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, Lord, we love you. God, you have done so much for us. You have poured out your blessings upon us in ways 
that sometimes we don't see until so much later. God, I pray that you would do it again. Lord, we don't say that to tempt you or to quarrel with you. God, we just want to be servants of you. God, use Belmar Church in the coming year to bring folks to a saving knowledge of you. Use Belmar Church in the coming year uh, to see families reunited and relationships restored. Use Belmar Church in the coming year, God, to be a light in this community. And God, we pray these things. We, we are willingly uh, pray these things to be used by you. And God, we, we look expectantly at what you're going to do with our church in the coming year. We love you, Lord. And I just pray a blessing on these people today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 